0: The following podcast contains explicit language. Yeah, but have you developed any good habits during quarantine?
1: Oh, God, I don't think so. I mean, I am walking on my treadmill desk a lot, which is probably the only thing that's keeping me, like, semi-healthy. What about you? Have you put your Uh, treadmill desk in your office?
0: Not yet.
1: Liz... Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and
0: writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Kraft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we're going to discuss the importance of
1: flexibility, especially right now, but that's easier said than done, so we will offer some tips to make your brain more limber.
0: In our new Amplify segment, we'll talk to Jackie Dissembli and Jericho Long about a piece they wrote for The Hollywood Reporter on dealing with race in the writer's room as a Black lower-level writer or support staff.
1: This week's Hollywood hack reminds us to keep up our good habits and avoid bad ones, despite the fact that we're all living through a global pandemic. But first, an update. In episode 164, we talked about how to know it's time to pull the ripcord when you're in a bad situation at work, And Corinne emailed about her ripcord moment. She wrote, I quit my very first adult job at age 22 on day 14. Only job I've ever quit. I was an analyst at a bank and in training, they showed us how to inflate numbers in our modeling spreadsheets. I thought this was completely unethical. Quitting at the time felt like my only option. I couldn't and wouldn't do what they were asking, and I felt way too junior and inexperienced to somehow try to report it internally, so I quit. Lots of good things have happened since then. I met my husband right after and a year later started in the career path I'm still on today, 22 years later. But it did have financial consequences. I had to return my signing bonus and I was under lease for an expensive apartment in New York City with no job and no plan. It took me years to get back to that banking starting salary in my new field. I don't regret it, but I do wonder, was I right that it was unethical? Could it just have been scenario planning they were asking us to do? But when the mortgage crisis happened and I read a New York Times article about inflated modeling numbers, I thought, I bet my gut was right. I'm so glad I pulled the ripcord. Oh, my God, Corinne, that is ballsy.
0: Yes, it takes guts. Day 14 at 22 Over-y-y. to quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am impressed. Yes, Absolutely.
1: That is super cool.
0: And, Sarah, we also realize that we want to remind everyone about our favorite Ripcord story ever. Our friend, Nichelle Tramble, who created the show Truth Be Told, starring Octavia Spencer on Apple TV, uh, which is a great show. We recommend it to everyone, was on Happier in Hollywood on episode 134 and told her Ripcord story. I think she made it half a day on an agent's desk.
1: Yes, um, and then her mom pulling said... pulling the
0: ripcord. <laughs> her mom said, get to stepping. Yes, so <laughs> go back and do listen to that story. That's awesome. And keep those ripcord stories coming. I want to share more because I think they really are helpful in terms yes. of clarifying when to pull the ripcord and when not to pull the ripcord.
1: And how when you do, it's usually the right decision.
0: Yes, Okay, Sarah, it is time for From the Treadmill Desk of in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's flexibility. We've realized that one of the best ways, really, I guess we have to say the only way yes, absolutely, to get through this pandemic is to be flexible. We can make plans, but we have to accept and try to be comfortable with the fact that those plans can change. In fact, they probably will change. Yes. Oh, my
1: God. I mean, it's almost inevitable that yeah. they will change. So one example, and the reason we were talking about this is because I know a couple of actors who are being told – as of a week ago, that they're going back to work in mid-August. And one of them, I think it's a feature in Vancouver, one of them, it shoots, I think, in Georgia eh, on a TV show. And I just keep thinking, I don't see how that is possibly going to happen. So, But they're both in this position of having to 100% plan to be leaving their homes, going back to work doing the whole juggle with children and lives and all of that. At the same time, they have to be (laughs) fully prepared to have that not happen and just release it at the drop of a hat. They have to be
0: flexible in their (laughs) plan.
1: should be 100% flexible. It's like 180 degrees oppositional. (laughs) Yes.
0: Well, and, you know, Sarah's TV writers, we always live with the unknown. We usually have no idea what job we're going to be doing year to year. Even in six months, we often have no idea what job we'll be doing. But when you add a pandemic to that (laughs) usual level of uncertainty, I find it (laughs) torturous. Yeah, I have had more headaches since the stay-at-home orders began than I've had in like 20 years combined, which I'm pretty sure is from my jaw clenching. And it's hard. What's weird about that, though, is that
1: really every day you know is kind of the same. Just like on a day-to-day basis, it's the same. You know what it's going to be, you know, but it's the bigger picture
0: yeah that is so difficult, yeah, I just I want to be able to have a plan and stick to it. I don't want to embrace being flexible. <laughs> I want to just Like, be rigid. You want to be able to anticipate, like, three months from now? (laughs) I really do. and Because we don't even know, at least usually the development season, yes, there's a lot of unknown in it, but we kind of know what it is. We know they'll buy this number of things, and this will be the timeline, and then this will happen. And that is just kind of gone. I mean, yes, there's a development season. Yes, pitches are being heard. Yes, they're buying things, but it's just different. Yes, it is. And
1: it's hard for everyone. I mean, I think we always say, like, how is this experience that we're having as TV writing, Yeah, how does it apply to people in other careers and in other, you know, life experiences? But in this case, I mean, this is not just all of our listeners. It's global. It's everyone, no matter what we're doing. And so we thought we should talk about it because – Flexibility is something we're always trying to teach our kids, right? Kids are very like, it's this, it's that. It's one thing or the other. Yeah. And they, they have, there's a comfort in kind of rigidity for them. It's hard for them to just relax and go with the flow. So we thought we could look at some tips on how to get kids to be flexible and see if we can apply them to ourselves.
0: Yes, and these tips come from an article on PBS Kids by Katie Hurley called Flexibility Thinking, How to Encourage Kids to Go with the Flow. But we're thinking how to encourage adults to go with the flow. Yes. <laughs> Us. So number one thing she says is bend the rules. She says if you change small rules, for instance, the rules of a game, a board game, and then play by those different rules. It can help us become less rigid. Mm. So we can certainly do that with our kids. Like I know you've been doing that with Violet. <laughs> yeah. We now have no rules about bathing suits in our
1: pool. Like <laughs> she just like half the time she'll just like jump in in her clothes. The other half of the time she'll be like I'm skinny dipping. And it's like what difference does it make? go for it, yes. you know? And we are much more flexible, I would say, in the timing of our mm. workday. Yes, we are. You know? Yeah. Because we're also dealing with parenting full time. Yeah. We have a much more like, well, what about this time? What about that time? And then we'll do something here. And
0: and we'll hang up for an hour and a half and get back on the phone later yeah. in the day. Yeah. Yes, we have, I guess, we've, we've changed the rules of our workday. We really kind of like set before and now they're not. We are being flexible. (laughs) And I guess
1: we're adjusting to that. Yeah. And then there's also teach self-talk, which is just thinking through problems, identifying solutions, taking deep breaths. I think an example of this is when I decided to go to Minnesota. It took a lot of sort of processing of all of these different things and and talking to myself a lot about various options and choices and just relaxing through it. And then suddenly an answer became clear.
0: I mean, I think that's the ultimate example of being flexible, Sarah. I mean, you're uprooting your whole <laughs> life and moving short term to Minnesota and having <laughs> Violet do remote learning for an entire semester of school. Yes. I mean, that's very flexible of you. I'm impressed. Well, thank you. I'm working on it. Another thing we've done um, is using our new shared whiteboard apps. I feel like that's an example of sort of, we were getting frustrated about how to break things, break Mm -hmm. stories, not things like (laughs) vases. Yeah, we're good at that. That's (laughs) And we thought of solutions and these whiteboard apps, which I think are going to become more and more popular. Yeah. The solution emerged and we are... Adapting to that, and that's being flexible. I'm proud yes, of us.
1: Absolutely.
0: Another thing she suggests is tweaking the routine, which I think this is really helpful. So she says, Change your routine in some small way. For instance, the time you take a shower, it helps you realize that routines can change, and that's okay. Right. And this is again like changing the times we've worked, we've tweaked that routine.
1: Yes. It was interesting, you know, when we were remote learning at the end of first grade, Violet's teacher was so great about when the schedule would change because even though they were remote learning, sometimes the schedule would change or somebody's technology wouldn't work. And she would just say like a lovely little reminder that this is a moment in which we all just need to be flexible because Mm -hmm. sometimes things change and sometimes aren't what we expect let's just practice being flexible so just reminding ourselves of that in those moments when frustration arises i think is a really good practice and then i was also thinking you know gretchen's thing of the opposite of a universal truth is mm-hmm. also a truth yes uh, <laughs> i feel like in routines are so up in the air that the opposite might be necessary for some people like some people might need to find a small routine That they stick to every day. Whether it's just like, I am going to walk the dog every morning at Mm -hmm. 9. And then if something comes up, fine, I'll do it at 10. Or I'm just going to keep a journal. And I won't even pick a time. I'll just make sure it's done by the end of the day. And that kind of security
0: might be good. Yes, I think you're 100% right. Because I think for some people, having those little routines and being even somewhat rigid about those routines. Like, yes, I'm going to make my bed every single day. Can help the like be more relaxed about the big need to be flexible, as yes. in, am I going back to work? Is my child going to school? Am I gonna be able to fly to Kansas City to see my parents at Thanksgiving? Right. By having that little bit of control, maybe you can release bigger control.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And then another just kind of funny one that she has in in her list is check in with Amelia Bedelia. <laughs> I don't know if everybody's familiar with Amelia Bedelia, but her books are... She's a literal thinker. She's like the most literal thinker. So if someone says, Amelia Bedelia, put the chicken in the oven at four, she'll just put it in the oven and not think about, oh, the all the other on. steps. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and so you'll have a raw chicken. For me, I was like, how do we apply this to adults, right? Yeah. But what's interesting about it for me is like just... Imagining Amelia Bedelia, and if again, if you're not familiar with her, read one of the books about her because they are really, really delightful, is yes. just having an image of a flustered Amelia Bedelia to go to in times when I'm having a hard time being flexible mm. helps me go, okay, I don't be flustered, literal thinking Amelia Bedelia right now. Mm. Just like chill out, take a deep breath, do some self-talk, mm-hmm. and be flexible.
0: Oh, that's good. I'm going to try that (laughs) when I'm being cranky about having to be flexible.
1: Just like, don't be Amelia Bedelia.
0: And then the last thing she says, which I thought was interesting, was get a joke book. And it's sort (laughs) of like, learn humor. Humor is helpful in any situation. If you can make a joke, if you can lighten the mood, that's always going to help. And it definitely helps with flexibility. And I have to say, I went right out and
1: got a joke book for Violet
0: because she loves jokes so much. They really do make every day better. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So what I've learned from this, Sarah, is that what I've been doing, which is eating popcorn and drinking wine, does not help with <laughs> flexibility. So I've realized that's why I'm having so yeah. many problems. That was my technique. So I'm going to try to use <laughs> these more useful, helpful techniques and see if I can have fewer headaches for my jaw clenching, and be more flexible.
1: And I'm going to find like an image of a super flustered Amelia Bedelia and send it to you so you can (laughs) like put it on your computer. Perfect. (laughs) Okay. Do you have any tips for how we can flex our flexibility muscles? We want to know. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com.
0: Next up, we're going to talk to the writers of an amazing piece about what it's like to deal with the issue of race in the writer's room. But first, this break.
1: All right, it's time for our new Amplify segment. This segment is all about amplifying the voices and work of women and people of color. And
0: this week, we're talking to writers Jackie Dissembly and Jerica Long. Jackie Dissembly was born and raised in the Midwest. She graduated from Ohio State University and attended the University of Cincinnati for graduate school. After several years as a Spanish teacher, Jackie left teaching to pursue a career as a TV writer. Now an L.A.-based one-hour dramedy-slash-light-drama writer, Jackie's writing focuses primarily on female-driven stories that explore the idea of being a fish out of water. Her blackish TV spec, Downsizing, was a semi-finalist for the Break screenwriting competition. Jackie has worked as a set production assistant, a line producer's assistant, and the writer's production assistant on The Fix, which we're very familiar with. She was a writer's assistant for an upcoming Netflix Young Adult series and is currently, yay, a staff writer on a Disney
1: Plus show. Jerica Long is a queer, Florida-raised and Brooklyn-made writer and stand-up that has been gaining experience the last five years working as support staff on Veep, Carol's second act being Mary Jane, Blackish, and Diary of a Future President. Jerica writes character-driven comedies with social commentary on dating and relationships. Jerica's half-hour pilot, It's Jerica Says, landed on the 2017 Bitch List—a selection of unproduced scripts that passed the Bechdel test. Woohoo! In 2018 her pilot Loveless was a semifinalist for the Blacklist and Macro Episodic Lab. In 2019 Jerica was a finalist for SunDance's New Voices Lab. She was featured on Elizabeth Banks's Who Ha Ha 35 LGBTQ Creators We Love List. Last year, she co-wrote an episode on the Disney Plus series, Diary of a Female President. Most recently, Jerrica was tapped to help develop an animated show with Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine. Jackie
0: and Jerrica, welcome. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much (laughs) for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. me We're happy to be here.
0: Now, you Mm -hmm. co-wrote recently an article for The Hollywood Reporter titled How to Broach Race When You're Not the Most Powerful Person in the Writer's Room. It is such an important piece, one that hopefully made a lot of upper-level writers, um, specifically white writers, take a hard look at themselves Was it scary to write and present on such a huge platform, first of all? Uh,
2: Yes, I (laughs) had lots of thoughts as we were writing this. Well, the first thought was like, well, maybe no one's going to actually read this. So, like, we write this and maybe (laughs) no one reads it. And then the second thought was, well, what if they read this and there's, like, backlash? You know, because that's, like, the, the major thing I think we were both concerned about is the fear of, like, Yes. And speaking your truth, that that could be not good for your career. So those are the two, the two things that I was thinking while we
3: were co-writing this. <laughs> I don't know about you, Jerrica. No, same. Like, you're always worried about the pushback, how past bosses mm-hmm. are going to feel mm-hmm. about what you're writing. Because it's very clear that this is an experience that we had in the room yes. that we used to work on. So those are all the things that I was thinking too, like... My career hasn't really started. Like I haven't been staffed, so I was just like, "Oh no, it's over now."
1: <laughs> I actually think it'll be really good for you both. Yes, you know, like you are known now in a, I think, really positive way. Yes,
2: well, that's good. I That's the that's the, that's the hope. <laughs> We've actually gotten some really like positive feedback from everyone. Yeah. Um, You know, Jarik and I have gotten emails mm-hmm. from. Other like support staff, staff writers who feel like they're, they're experiencing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that was really like takeaway. Like it's really important that we did. We're talking about it because other people are experiencing this too and they just don't they don't say anything.
0: Yeah. So. Well, and it opened yeah. the conversation. I mean, we've been talking about it since we read it, and I'm sure people all over Hollywood are talking about it, which is what we need. Yeah. So we asked yeah. if one of you would read
1: one of the really powerful excerpts from the article. Would you yeah. read that for us, please? Sure. Um, Jerrica, did you want me to read it or did you want to go ahead? And read?
2: Okay. okay. Yeah. Jackie, go right. ahead. <laughs> um, so. Uh, Instead of starting a show with a typical first-day-at-work anxieties like, will they like us, how long until we can bring a sample to our boss, or will we get to pitch today, we're immediately wondering, how racist will the room be? Will we be supported by upper-level writers or the showrunner? Will we have an ally? More often than not, Black writers and support staff are tasked with providing resources or recommending ways to support Black Lives Matter or explaining why certain pitches are offensive. While white coworkers struggle with how to address racism in the room, black coworkers and support staff are left feeling alienated and drained. Racism is as common in the writer's room as it is to see LaCroix in the fridge.
1: So, just reading that when I read your article was painful, and living it obviously would be much more so. When you're in a room, do you feel like you're kind of constantly weighing whether a particular comment or a problematic story is something that you should address or just let slide? Like it seems like you would constantly be having this kind of constant calculation of risk. Yeah,
2: I mean, I know I know for myself, there have been plenty of times where I've been like, "Is this is this the thing that I want to actually bring up? Is this worth? Is it worth my emotional like?" what this is going to do to me emotionally for me to bring it up? Or do I wait for the bigger thing? So it's like you have to pick and choose the things that you decide to to say. And I know for myself, I've gotten, if I say something, I'll talk to someone beforehand, like mm-hmm. an ally, like, hey, I'm going to bring this up. Can you, like, back me up? Because mm-hmm. if it's just me saying it, then the reactions most times is not, it'll get looked over. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone else is there to, like, Cosign sign or like support what I'm saying, then, then it can become, you know, more of a discussion, but definitely it's, you sit there and think about, is this, is this the thing that I need to talk about right now? Or should I
3: wait?
1: Jerica, you were nodding yeah, like you want to say something, yeah. should we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well,
3: I think, I think as support staff, like you kind of have to like be mm-hmm. tactful in how you respond to things and what you say and what you don't say. And, and I think, I think it comes down from, like, the showrunner. And I think if you're in a welcoming room, you, mm-hmm. you know how to navigate. But if you're in a room where you're not even allowed to speak to the showrunner, you're not allowed to, like, sit in the room, like, it's a different story. And I have come across situations where I was in a room and they're, you know, they're writing a story that's about Black characters Ooh. and I'm not allowed to talk. But then I've come across situations where they're talking about a Black woman in her hair and I'm like, oh, gosh, like, nobody would ever say that. Like, that's so racist. And I tell my bosses and they're like, okay, right. it's out. You know, like, it, it, it varies. But you always have to decide, what like, yes. what are you willing to die on?
0: That leads me to our next question, which is, we obviously don't want you to bear the burden of educating us on, you know, exactly how to be in the room. But at the same time, we have to ask, are there specific things showrunners can do to make it easier to be Black in the writer's room, especially for lower level writers and support staff like writer's assistants and writer's PAs? I think my biggest thing, and this is what I try to tell people,
3: as many people as I can, I think for showrunners, I think the first day, you set the tone for the room and how the other writers will treat support staff. It is your job to put every single person in that room and tell the writers, support staff that you mm-hmm. all, all of your voices matter and that you're gonna treat the support staff like human beings. And if you don't, like the support staff can come and like talk to me about it or whatever, like that. You have to do that on day one. I think that's a mm-hmm. human rule no matter what, who you look like or your gender or whatever. And I think that's always been my I, I,
2: I have to agree with that. And I, th- I think the other thing, too, is that first day that, um, and this, I mean, this is hard, is to say, like, hey, we want you to speak up. And then when you speak up, there should be, I don't know, maybe some guidelines of, like, don't be don't be on the defensive if it's like something Mm -hmm. is brought up it's not like an attack it's just to like Mm -hmm. make aware like we don't want this to be in the show because you know we're either playing into a stereotype or like this is offensive so I think that's I've encountered where it's been like like a defense like you Mm -hmm. know they think that you're attacking them and you're like no 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 I'm not attacking I'm just like trying to tell you like we shouldn't do this for x (laughs) y and z reasons
3: right I call it calling you in, not calling you out. And I think that when you yes, take that, that approach to it, people are more welcome because nobody no. wants to be called a racist, especially <laughs> no. right now. You know, pro-liberal, America. Yes. you know, it's, it's so different. So you can't, you have to call people yes. in and not yeah. call them out. So I always say that's it's great to, advice.
0: It's that and how do you feel like if you mentioned, you know, someone's talking about a black woman's hair, if People sort of turn to you and say, "Hey, Jerrica, what do you think about this? Do you feel like the spotlight is on you, and you don't want that, or do you appreciate that?" I think that comes down to
3: what kind of room I'm in and how mm-hmm. supportive that room is. But in general, I like to use my voice. I like to speak up, and I work in a lot of comedy rooms. And oftentimes, I'm the only queer person. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. I'm the only Black woman. Sometimes I'm the only woman. So, like, it, it I, I want to be able to use my voice and have it you be validated and, and people hear me. So for me, I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I think <laughs> for me,
2: I'm a little bit more, not that I'm timid, but I'm like a little bit more like, I, if I say something it's like, oh, wow, like this must be really a thing because Jackie is like mm-hmm. bringing it up. usually I like wait to like, should I mm-hmm. say something? But um, I think it depends on the room. Mm-hmm. Like there have been rooms I've been really comfortable yeah. in and I don't feel like that the spot, like they're really truly wanting to know. Mm-hmm. And there have been other rooms where it's like, that's, it has not been, a very like inviting, like share your thoughts kind of thing. So then it does feel like, oh, I'm being like, you know, spotlighted. And then in, in those cases, I, I I do have to say I've had great other writers who like step in and have tried to help. That like, oh, well, you know, try to take the spotlight off of me, uh, so mm-hmm. to say, if I'm the only person of color in the room. So, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you yeah. need an ally. You need an upper
0: level you white. You really, ally. you really, 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 really do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, then the other thing you brought up in your article is that we really just need rooms across the board to be more diverse in every way. Rooms have to better represent our world, and we have to be open to everyone's voices in every writer's room. That is a responsibility we certainly feel very strongly about, but it has to have an everywhere. It has to happen across the board in rooms. It has to happen on crews. Yeah. It just has to change and it's starting to, but toward that end, yes, the two of you are starting a database. Tell us about the database that you're starting. Yeah. Jerrica, do you want to go ahead? I'll let you and I'll pipe in. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Okay.
3: So we started the Black Hire database and we were just like, there's so many people who are out of work. There's so many people who the barrier to entry is just so huge how can we help them? Like, how can we use our resources, our network to help build a bridge instead of a gap? And so we started a higher black database for black people to submit and so that we can help them get them jobs. And we've had a lot of success with getting people getting resumes across to the HR managers and showrunners and stuff like that. So people can get hired. It's it's still in its infancy, but I I think long term, I think we're going to do a lot of good. And how do people find it and access it?
2: Well, right now they can email us at hireblastdatabase at gmail.com. We are working on a website, so hopefully that will be coming soon. And then once they can email us and we have like a Google doc that they fill out, and um, it goes right into our, our Google sheet that we have with all of our, our people
0: in our database. That is fantastic. Yes. And you
3: can also email us if you yes. have opportunities.
0: Yes. Okay. Even better, right?
3: Yes. Jobs. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay,
0: so that's <laughs>
2: Hire Black Database. It's hireblackdatabase at
0: gmail.com. Awesome. And we will link to that in the show notes for this episode. We want to amplify the article you both wrote, but we also want to amplify you as writers. So, Jerica, what shows do you love? What's your dream job? How can our listeners find you on social media? My dream show
3: is Insecure. I oh, love Insecure. Yeah. yeah. My dream is to be the next Issa Rae, the next queer, you know, Black female Issa Rae and have my own show and write on it and star in it. And you can find me on social media at Long underscore
0: on Instagram and Twitter. Jackie, um, you're working as a staff writer right now, which is Mm -hmm. wonderful. But we still want to ask, what is your dream job and how can our listeners find you on social media?
2: Yes. Dream job. So I love these heartfelt one hour uh, dramas. So I love the bold type, which I know Liz that you love that show. Yes, too, I so do. <laughs> I would love to work on that show. No, well, no, that's one of my dream shows. And also um, Sweet Magnolias, it's a Netflix show. So those are the kind of stories that I like to write. And you can find me on Twitter. It's Jackie Penn, 18. And then on Instagram, it's JL Penn, 18. Great.
0: Jackie, it's funny you say sweet magnolias just because everyone should know Jackie always wears a flower in her hair. She has one right now. So that feels (laughs) very fitting for you. Yes.
1: Well, thank you both for the article. Thank you for coming on today. It was really awesome to talk to you. Yes. Yes. Thanks for having us.
2: And it's always good to see the two of you. So um, I really love that you we got to, to see you and to talk about this
0: yes yes thank you for having it and we'll keep everyone updated on your database if there's more information to know let us know and we will tell our listeners
1: yes we will we'll put a link to jackie and jerica's article in the show notes for this episode so make sure to check it out next up a hollywood hack that will hopefully keep you from backsliding but first this break
0: Okay, Sarah, it is time for this week's Hollywood hack. Avoid the creep.
1: Please explain. Okay. So you have been eating popcorn and drinking wine. Mm -hmm. I have had another vice creep back into my life. And, you know, my acid reflux came back. I used to have reflux. It was gone for years. Then suddenly we have a pandemic and the reflux is back. I'm sleeping badly and I'm thinking, what is happening? What is happening? Why is this happening? Mm. Well... My vice that crept back in is Diet Coke. I was using the pandemic as an excuse. I started drinking Diet Coke again, even though I know that it gives me reflux. And it happened so fast. I didn't even, like, realize that it was happening until I was like, why am I not sleeping? Liz, have you had anything creep back in during this? Oh
0: boy. Um, just snacking, you know, tortilla chips, uh, uh, tortilla (laughs) chips. And the thing is, yeah, I, I axed finally the tortilla chips, but other things have taken their place. (laughs) It's like, I worked so hard to lose weight and then I've gained weight. So I think it's, I was in like a groove and then it just kind of all fell away. So I am working on it as I've you know, discussed ad nauseum with uh, myself. Um, <laughs> and as you say, the first step toward fighting the creep is being aware of the creep. Once you identified the Diet yes. Coke issue, you then, I mean, I, very impressively, you have gotten rid of it. I'm holding up my LaCroix right now. Yes,
1: you're drinking LaCroix. Yes. And to our listeners, is anything creeping back into your life that you don't want to be there anymore? Take a minute, do a little scan of your body (laughs) and whatever habits seem to be going on, and if it's creeping back in, lock it down. It's not that easy, but... But like we said, awareness is the first step. Avoid the creep, friends. It's not worth it. (laughs) Yes, avoid the creep. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already.
0: Thank you to Jackie Dissembli and Jerrica Long for joining us today. You can find their article in The Hollywood Reporter, and we'll also put a link to it in the show notes for this episode. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, King of Remote Recording. And thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence
1: 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project.
0: Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing with Whole30's Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler.
1: Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at S. fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it.
0: We did our hack, avoid the creep, but we could also do a hack, avoid creeps, about not to work with assholes in the writer's room.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's so hard to avoid them. (laughs) From the Onward Project.